This morning we come to a famous Bible verse, one often referred to as the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Before examining this verse, I want to address the distinction between law and gospel. Discerning Matthew 7, 12 without distinguishing between law and gospel will lead to significant problems, not the least of which are despair for some and self-righteousness for others. Without a careful law and gospel distinction, the golden rule can easily mutate into moralism, legalism, humanism, or uh, religion emptied of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we get to verse 12, I'm going to clarify the distinction between law and gospel in hopes that doing so, excuse me, will better equip you to hear, understand, and apply verse 12. Actually, all of Scripture and all sermons. Here's my simple outline. Number one, the golden rule heard with law and gospel categories. Number two, the golden rule detached from Christ. Number three, the golden rule attached to Christ. And number four, four the golden rule lived by grace and spirit for the glory of God alone. Number one, the golden rule heard with law and gospel categories. Imagine working in a bakery and not knowing fractions, measurements like teaspoon and tablespoon, and how to differentiate between kitchen utensils. Not good. Not good. The law and gospel are essential categories that scripture itself gives, which help us hear, understand, and apply all of scripture. Zacharias your sinus said, therefore the law and gospel are the chief and general divisions of the holy scriptures and comprise the entire doctrine comprehended therein. End of quote. I'm going to try to explain law and gospel in four points, but they're all essentially the same point, uh, worded in different ways. Number one, sub point, number one, Defining and Differentiating Law and Gospel. John Calvin's successor, Theodore Beza, said, Ignorance of this distinction between law and gospel is one of the principal sources of the abuses which corrupted and still corrupt Christianity. End of quote. Martin Luther said that the devil mixes together law and promise, faith and works, tortures poor consciences and allows them to view neither the law nor the gospel with proper distinction. He drives and hunts people into the law and lays a net for them that bears the name, I must do this, I must not do that. If at this point I fail to distinguish well Moses and Christ, I cannot be free, I cannot escape, I must end in despair, end of quote. For Luther, who knew despair, failing to distinguish between law and gospel inevitably ended in despair. What is law? For our purposes today, the law is the moral law of God, expressed in the Ten Commandments and summarized by Jesus as, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
The law promises life upon perfect and perpetual obedience and condemns to death at any point of disobedience. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of the life, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, ascension, and intercession of Jesus Christ, God's Son, and salvation received in him alone. The gospel is summarized in the Apostles' Creed. Different from the law, the gospel is not work to do. It's a gift to receive. You might hear Christians say things like, do the gospel or live the gospel or be the gospel. Those are misleading and dangerous statements. The gospel is not God's command. It's God's gift. Dr. Michael Horton helpfully clarifies, we hear people say today, we need to live the gospel, need to do the gospel, but actually we need to do the law. You can't do the gospel. That's a category mistake. It's the most fundamental, basic, theological mistake that you can possibly make to confuse the law with the gospel. The law is good. Doing things, doing what God commands is absolutely important but it's not the good news. It's not the gospel. And if we confuse those two things, we'll make ourselves partly our own saviors. End of quote. Bingo. Bingo. He nailed it. Listen to the world's answers to th- that the world gives, the answers that the world gives for the world's problems. Just listen closely. It's law. It's self-help but it's not gospel. The world thinks that we don't need God to solve our problems. We can solve our problems ourselves. This message is also communicated sometimes subtly in many churches who preach be like Jesus more than they preach Jesus. The the starting point of preaching must not be what would Jesus do, but rather what has Jesus done? Michael Horton clarifies, gospel is not equivalent to whatever is good and important in Christianity. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. And Horton goes on to say, it's not just good news because of its content, it's good news in the form of its delivery. It's not good advice. The gospel never tells us something to do. The gospel tells us about something that's been done, end of quote. Brothers and sisters, the law is work. The gospel is rest. The law is command. The gospel is promise. The law is imperative. The gospel is indicative. The law is that which God demands in his letter. The gospel is that which God provides in his son. The law is work for it. The gospel is receive it as a gift. In the concluding scenes of the powerful World War II film Saving Private Ryan, Captain John Miller completed his mission. He found and protected 
Private James Ryan, and Ryan was returning home to his mother who had lost her other three sons during the war. Captain Miller, after leading men on this successful but very costly mission, a bunch of men died in trying to, to rescue Private Ryan, sits dying on a bridge. And his last words were, James, earn this. Earn it. The movie jumps ahead, years ahead, to James Ryan as an old man standing at John Miller's grave with his wife and, and family in the background. And James quietly says at Miller's grave, Every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. His wife joins him at Miller's grave, and he looks at her and says, Tell me I've led a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. And right there is the heart, the central point of every major world religion and philosophy. Earn it. Be good enough to earn it. Saints, that's law, not gospel. Earn it is not good news. What, what differentiates true Christianity from every other worldview is gospel. The liberating truth that Jesus Christ has earned it and gives it to those who can't earn it but who receive it and rest in him alone. The message of the church, of Jesus Christ, the message that we have to offer the world, brothers and sisters, a perishing world, is not earn it, but rather receive it because another has earned it for you. Luther said, the law is to demand perfect righteousness from everyone. The gospel is, is to give the righteousness demanded by the law to those who do not have it by grace as a gift, end of quote. Those who live to earn it are those who perish without it. Only those who receive it humbly by faith alone have it. Here's my Here's my second law and gospel point. It's essentially the same point with a few added details. Number two, law, gospel, law. In order to understand law, gospel, law, we have to realize that the law does various things for us. First, the law exposes our sin and misery. The law is very good at telling people you are bad and you do bad things. The law isn't meant to comfort you. The law is not meant to pat you on the back. Paul said in Romans 3.20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. He added a, a personal application later in Romans 7.7, 7, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. The gospel has no context without a broken law. Only sinners need Jesus. Only law keepers need Jesus. 
But the law does something else on the other side of grace, of the gospel, for believers. Law, gospel, law. On the other side of the gospel, the law serves believers in a wonderful way. Second, the law helpfully instructs believers in how to love their God and their neighbor. For God's children, the the law is no longer a threat or a condemning voice, but is a blessed guide in how to express love and thankfulness. For believers, the law no longer says, do this and live. But do this because you're alive. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love Christ, you have already been made alive and possess the Holy Spirit, or else you wouldn't love Christ. But now that you love him, you know that you have been made alive, you possess the Spirit, and so you are then positioned to keep Christ's commandments with joy, with delight, because you want to. And as 1 John 5, 3 says, his commandments are not burdensome. They become your delight. Our brother in Christ, David, many years ago, said it so well in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Law, gospel, law. Some Christians don't want to hear the law. When they hear it, they seem to hear only condemnation. And I think that's partly because they don't understand law, gospel, law. Every day, I struggle with the desires of the flesh deeply. I struggle deeply with the desires of the flesh And I'm so loved and I'm so helped when God uses his law to alert me to sin in me. It's painful, but it's good. It doesn't crush me. And I need God to continue to use the law in my life in this very helpful and loving way. Why am I not crushed by the law? Because I hear the law as one who has received Christ the law keeper. And so the law is no longer condemning me, but is helpfully exhorting me to greater trust in Christ and greater obedience, and I need that absolutely every single day. Luther helpfully commented, but once the law's legitimate claim against us is satisfied, The gospel and the law conspire together to give us both grace and direction for our Christian life in relation to God and our neighbors, end of quote. Brothers and sisters, the gospel gives us grace and the law gives us direction. And we need both at the same time, all the time, preaching and hearing the law isolated from the gospel is deficient. Preaching and hearing the gospel isolated from the law is deficient. Preaching and hearing the law and gospel together is balanced and life-giving. But there's another way to say law, gospel, law, and it's on our church sign. Number three, guilt, grace, 
gratitude. This is the structure of the Book of Romans, uh, and it's the structure of the Heidelberg Catechism. The law exposes our guilt, which drives us to the gospel, which gives us God's grace, and then the law guides us in how to show gratitude for grace. Guilt, grace, gratitude is another way of saying law, gospel, law. Well, here's another way to put it. Number four, covenant of works, covenant of grace. You've heard this before. In the garden, God gave Adam and Eve law. Do this and live, fail to do this perfectly and die. We call that the covenant of works, law. Law was in the garden. The the Ten Commandments, though not yet clarified at Sinai, were in play in the garden. They were just as true then as they will always be true. Adam and Eve broke God's moral law and subjected themselves and all humanity to sin and misery. But then what did God do? What did God communicate in Genesis 3.15? God gave Adam and Eve another covenant, a covenant of grace or gospel, the basic promise of a savior. Adam and Eve were looking for a savior to come, crush the head of Satan, and reverse the curse of the broken law. Why? Because God promised them a savior. The covenant of works and covenant of grace must not be confused and they must not be mixed together. The the covenant of works is law. Do this and live. Don't do this and die. The covenant of grace is gospel. Believe the promise of God that he will bring salvation in the serpent, slaying seed, son, savior, and sovereign, Jesus the Christ. Law and gospel are different, but they work together throughout God's redemption story. In his larger catechism, Zacharias, your sinus, wrote, the law contains a covenant of nature begun by God with men in creation. That is, it is a natural sign to men and it requires of us perfect obedience toward God. It promises eternal life to those keeping it and threatens eternal punishment to those not keeping it. That's the covenant of works, the law. And then your sinus adds this about the covenant of grace, the gospel. In fact, The gospel contains a covenant of grace, that is, one known not at all under nature. This covenant declares to us fulfillment of its righteousness in Christ, which the law requires, and our restoration through Christ's Spirit. To those who believe in him, it freely promises eternal life for Christ's sake, end of quote. The good news is that the covenant of works is not the only covenant. There is a covenant of grace in which Jesus Christ and his righteousness are granted to sinners who trust in Christ. Now, saints, in these four points that I've just addressed, I'm simply trying to say the same thing in different ways to help you differentiate between law and gospel. Because when you differentiate between law and gospel, Scripture produces deeper comfort in you. You just hear Scripture differently, 
and it, and it produ- the spirit can work through that and produce much deeper comfort for your soul. I'll tie these four points together like this. Philip Melanchthon was a brilliant theologian and an outstanding figure of the Protestant Reformation, a colleague of Martin Luther. He's buried near Luther. And Melanchthon said this, there are two parts of scripture, law and gospel. The law shows sin, the gospel grace. The law indicates disease, the gospel points out the remedy. To use Paul's words, the law is the minister of death. The gospel is the minister of life and peace. End of quote. Now to address the golden rule. This brings me to my second point, number two, the golden rule detached from Christ. What happens when we detach the golden rule from Christ? Well, we get moralism, legalism, humanism, or religion emptied of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the gospel, the golden rule is simply the slogan of the self-righteous. Michael Horton said, quote, we are wired for law. Tell me what to do and I'll get it done. That is not just the American spirit, but it is human nature, end of quote. Horton's right. Human nature naturally detaches the golden rule from Christ and in effect shouts, forget God. I can do this by myself. Now, Little children, they sometimes push their their parents' hands away because they want to pour the milk themselves. And then they spill the milk all over the table and the floor. Human nature is proud and doesn't want to admit inability or fault. Karen Armstrong is an intelligent, well-spoken British religious historian. Interestingly, she's also an ex-Roman Catholic sister. I watched two of her TED Talks, one titled My Wish, The Charter for Compassion, in which she made an appeal to restore the golden rule as the central global religious doctrine. The other talk was titled Let's Revive the Golden Rule. I encourage you to watch these as an illustration of what happens when someone detaches the golden rule from Christ. Armstrong manifestly downplays, if not disparages, the reality of absolute truth, sets absolute truth and the golden rule against each other, and reduces all world religions to one central teaching or action, the golden rule. Her ambition is to advocate law with no gospel. Armstrong talks about believing in abstruse doctrines and says, we have a choice, it seems to me. We can either go on in bringing out or emphasizing the dogmatic or intolerant aspects of our faith, or we can go back to the golden rule, end of quote. She She's disparaging necessary doctrines and elevating the golden rule detached from gospel to the primary position of all religion. But is the golden rule actually the golden rule without Christ and without the motive of God's glory? Armstrong says, 
We can change the world. We have the ability, end of quote. There's no gospel in her words, and yet she gets standing ovations. But see, they applaud because she appeals to their sinful human nature. She appeals to their pride. She said, people have emphasized the importance of compassion, not just because it sounds good, but because it works. People have found that when they have implemented the golden rule, as Confucius said, all day and every day, not just a question of doing your good deed for the day and then returning to a life of greed and egotism, but to do it all day and every day, you dethrone yourself from the center of your world, put another there, and you transcend yourself. And it brings you into the presence of what's been called God, Nirvana, Raman, Tao, something that goes beyond what we can know in our ego-bound existence, end of quote. Can you hear the burden and condemnation in her words? Do the golden rule all day and every day, and then you enter into the presence of what's been called God. She doesn't seem to realize that that's not good news. That's exhausting, frustrating, and burdensome work, impossible work. In fact, it's condemning law. And people stand and applaud it. People applaud ideas that condemn them in their sin and misery. And after Armstrong argues hard against creeds, And believing absolute truth, she said, if religion is not about believing things, what is it about? What I've found across the board is that religion is about behaving differently. Instead of deciding whether or not you believe in God, first do something. You behave in a committed way, and then you begin to understand the truths of religion. End of quote. That's not good news. Sadly, she doesn't know what good news is. As she tries to rally the world around the golden rule, her rejection of Christ becomes obvious. To call people to behave differently without giving them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a futile effort that ends in eternal misery for those who thought they could. A gospel with self-help at the center is a false gospel. Number three, the golden rule attached to Christ. Matthew 7 verse 12 begins with the word so or therefore. That means that it is inseparable from what came before it. I could have included it in last week's sermon. I wanted to read it, uh, read all that text because they go together. And I want to handle, I, I did that. I, I want to handle verse 12 on its own by itself, but, but I want you to see how it connects. What came right before the golden rule? Well, everything that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, including Matthew 5, 17, if you can remember back. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
Interesting. Very interesting. Jesus positioned himself as the only one who actually can do and does the golden rule. But what came right before verse 12, verses 7 through 11? What were verses 7 through 11 about? The goodness and grace of God towards his beloved and adopted children. Verse 11 is gospel to those who have already received Christ by believing in the gospel. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? That's gospel and assumes faith in the gospel. Jesus is talking to his disciples, to those brought into the kingdom, brought into the family of God. The golden rule was law being given to Jesus' disciples who had already received Christ in the gospel. Law, gospel, law. Or you could say guilt, grace, gratitude. Uh, More than giving his disciples law, which exposed their sin, he did say they were evil. Jesus gave them law to explain what kingdom living is like. The golden rule is law, not gospel. It, it, it does actually condemn unrighteous people. But for believers who, who are counted righteous in Christ, the golden rule is how they submit to their king and show their gratitude for his redemption and his good favor. We must never detach the golden rule from Christ because the golden rule can only be heard, understood, and applied rightly, applied for the glory of God alone, alongside of the gospel. Here's an an important point. I think the golden rule in verse 12 is another way to summarize the last six commandments of the Ten Commandments. It's another way of saying love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, but, But we must never forget that doing the last six commandments overflows from doing the first four commandments, which are summarized as you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus said, this is the great and first commandment. The first commandment leads into the second commandment. We cannot pull the the, the two apart. So, So unless one receives the mercy and grace and love of God in Christ Jesus, unless by the Spirit's work in them they truly love God, they will not actually do the golden rule. They can't. And that's why it's such a serious mistake to call people to do the golden rule without first calling them to love the one true God as he revealed himself in scripture. It's emptying the golden rule of its power by detaching it from the gospel. To to avoid the false gospels of moralism, legalism, humanism, uh, or, or religion emptied of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, We must keep the golden rule attached to Christ Jesus our Lord. Otherwise, people will think our message for the world is like every other religion. Be a good person. 
Our message is Christ crucified and risen. Repent and trust in him. We, we have good news that no other worldview or philosophy has. So why are we so big about at, at Jerusalem Church about preaching the law and gospel? Because it's a balanced, clear, true, and really the utmost expression of God's love for those who desperately need him. For preaching to be clear, it must be law and gospel. Number four, the golden rule lived by grace and spirit for the glory of God alone. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, if you're paying attention there, that may sound like the Old Testament is all law. Uh, it sounds as if love your neighbor is all that the law and prophets are about. Be very careful. Uh, I mentioned the analogy of faith last week. Remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. Uh, so if we head to John 5, verse 46, we hear Jesus say, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Moses wrote the law, but Moses also wrote the gospel. If we go to Luke 24, verse 27, we read that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The law and prophets are both law and gospel. Alongside of everything God commands in the time of types and shadows and in the old covenant, God is also making gospel promises to his chosen and elect people, his one people. He gave them law and gospel along the way, each serving his people in their own respective ways. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'd rather have unbelievers try to live out the golden rule in society than to ignore it and run wild in unbridled sin. I, I believe the golden rule should inform public policy. But the golden rule rightly heard, understood, and applied is for God's beloved adopted children who live it by the, by the Spirit's power for the glory of their Heavenly Father. For God's children, the golden rule is not their means of earning the acceptance and love of God their Father. It is rather their ambition in life because they are already accepted and loved by God their Father in Jesus Christ. So when, when the world attempts the golden rule without Christ and pats themselves on, a, on the back for a job well done, the church actually does the golden rule in union with Christ by the power of the Spirit as their way of showing thankfulness for receiving God's grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And there you have the difference between arrogant self-righteousness and humble faith. And God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Here's another helpful distinction. The golden rule is not about treating people kindly so that they will treat you kindly. That's the law of reciprocity. And that's not obedience, that's selfishness. 
Remember the golden rule overflows from a love relationship with Christ. Because we have received God's law and uh, love, and, 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 and therefore we love God, our delight in doing the golden rule is, is, is really our delighting the Father. Um, not the reciprocation of love from others, even though we delight to receive the love of others as well. If we interpret the golden rule as the law of reciprocity, scratch, I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine, we will not love our worst enemies. We'll just give up because it's not working. The reciprocity is not there. When I think about how I want people to treat me, here's, here's some things that I come up with. I want people to value my life to truly love me, to respect me, to treat me with kindness, compassion, and gentleness, to not hurt me. I want them to give me the gift of their friendship, to encourage me unto holiness, to give me thoughtful gifts, to ask me meaningful questions, to understand me, to honor and support my marriage, to, um, to love and respect my wife and children, to not harm them in any way, but instead to promote their well-being, to not be jealous of me, but to celebrate my unique gifts and benefit from them, to not take advantage of me or use me for their own purposes, to share with me the things that they enjoy, and to respect my property, uh, tell, to, to tell me the truth, even if it's a hard truth to tell me. Simply put, I want others to act for my greatest good and well-being. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want those things? And there are several realizations that I get by thinking that through. Number one, I want people to obey the law when it comes to relating to me. The, the golden rule is law that, that you and I desire others to do in relation to us. Number two. All those things that I went through are what God commands me to give to others. If, if I am truly to love others, I must obey God's law as it pertains to them. Um, number three, I can't. I can't do it. I fail at all the things that I want people to give me. I can't try harder, folks, because I've already tried and it doesn't work. Number four, I need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I need his clemency, his forgiveness, his compassion, his love. I need him to pour his love into me so that I have the strength to love others for his glory. Five, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. Doing the golden rule is not a lost cause for me. It's not a lost cause. In fact, though imperfectly, I am doing the golden rule because my God is working it in me. He's helping me. He's doing it. One day, I will be doing the golden rule all day and every day in and for eternity because my God is faithful to his promises. He will complete the work in me. He will conform me to the image of Christ. That's his promise to me. <clears throat> Six, 
I must do the golden rule to my worst enemies. And I can because Christ is at work in me. See, the world employs selective application of the golden rule. They do it as long as it benefits them, but when it gets really, really, really hard and there is no reciprocation from others, they give up. They, 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 they find it useless then. They, they don't do it because they have no power without Christ. But I have power because I have Christ. I can give the golden rule to people who don't deserve it because I don't deserve the mercy and grace Christ is giving me. You know, the golden rule is golden because Christ is the gold. Christ is the gold of the golden rule. Christ came to us. Christ sacrificed for us. Christ gave his life for us. Christ bore the wrath of God for us and suffered unimaginable darkness for us. Christ rose from the dead for us. Christ conquered death for us. Christ loves us, cares for us, serves us, strengthens us, motivates us, sanctifies us, preserves us, keeps us, even though we sometimes treat him horribly. We just ignore him. And if that good news overwhelms you with gratitude and joy and comfort and assurance, then whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Only when you understand law, gospel, law, will you use the golden rule rightly. With utmost love, adoration, and appreciation for God and his grace.